Good morning. That's John Boyle's bedroom. That, yeah, there. No, it's not. Just kidding. Hey, welcome to Calvary. Nine o'clock's not too early, is it? No, it's good. 75% of you did really good this morning. That's good. We'll get better and better. But uh, we're 9 o'clock through the summer, and I'm glad you're here. Today we start this new series called Unsung Heroes. We're looking in the Bible at people who are there but are somewhat uh, less known. They're more obscure, but they're ordinary people who live by faith. We're going to try to study their, their life of faith. Now, I picked the first one, and I'm going to preach two weeks on one who may not totally fit that category, but I wanted to preach on John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is um, a small role in the unfolding story of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to study him for two weeks, this week and next week together. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it up to the New Testament the Gospel of Luke. And we want, to, um, we want to study John the Baptist this morning and, and learn from his life of faith. He's an unusual character. He's someone that um, is misunderstood, but he played a very crucial role in the unfolding of the New Testament. In fact, you might say that John the Baptist is really crucial because of his role at holding on to the Old Testament and the New Testament and being the one who is the link between all that was written in the Old Testament and then all that unfolded in the New Testament. I think you'll see that in a moment. In Luke chapter 1, probably requires some background information, so I'm going to read a couple verses that will give us the background of John and his mission, and then we'll look at chapter 3 in his opening revelation to the world. John the Baptist is recorded for us originally in chapter 1 of Luke and verse 5, and he actually is told before Jesus because he was born before Jesus. But John the Baptist, we, we learn about him in Luke 1.5 where it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense. Well, we could stop right there and just say, in righteous worship, people perform functions of ministry and other people are praying for God to work. I wonder if that would be something that we would just take away as we come to church. We would be people who pray that while activities of religious service are happening, some of us are sitting in the seat 
praying God as the word of God is open this morning would there be someone here who doesn't know you yet and would you through the ministry of music or the word of God or the fellowship of communion open up a heart who didn't know you at nine o'clock to love you by 10 o'clock people prayed while the work was going on that wasn't in my sermon but that's good verse 11 there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing to the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw it. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you're going to call him John. And there's John the Baptist introduced. A miraculous, God-given life to old people who had been up to this point disappointed with childlessness. And God intervenes. Verse 14, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Here's his mission. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. That's interesting. He, John, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare the people of Israel to receive the Messiah, Jesus, who was coming into the world six months after John. But his mission is described here that John is going to be great before the Lord. He's going to bring joy to people. He's going to turn the hearts of people back to the Lord. And he's going to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. And he's going to prepare many in Israel to be able to identify Jesus when he comes on the scene. John is going to come into the world in the spirit of Elijah. Keep your finger here and turn left in your Bible to the last words of the Old Testament. Can you find that? You have to go back from Luke through Mark, through Matthew, and then Malachi. And Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 has the closing words of the Old Testament. And in the closing words of the Old Testament, we read these words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's the last words of the Old Testament. That a prophet, Elijah, is going to come, and his first ministry is going to be to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers, because when a people walk away from God, one of the very first signs that that has happened 
is the deterioration of the family. Hmm. You with me? And John is going to come, Luke tells us, in the spirit of Elijah. He is that Elijah. Although he said, I'm not that Elijah. And Jesus sort of said, he is that Elijah. He comes in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, children to their fathers, to change and enter into a world that is in trouble. And when Luke tells us that this is the way John the Baptist is going to come, he's going to have this mission, to prepare people to hear who Jesus is. Now, Zechariah, in verse 18, said, how's this going to be? Because I'm an old man, and my wife is old too. And the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak another word until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, you just get a glimpse of the danger of not believing God. Not believing what God has said. Is that a lesson for us? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And John entered into the world in a time of trouble. It was trouble in politics. It was trouble in the religious system of Israel. It was trouble in so many families that were broken down. And God said to Zechariah, a priest, I'm going to give you a son. He's going to bring you joy. He's going to turn the hearts of people back to the Lord. He's going to prepare people to be able to listen to the Messiah. And behold, John was unable to speak. Okay, look at verse 57 of chapter 1, and I'm almost done with the introduction. Then the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he's going to be called John. They said to her, well, none of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to the father, inquiring what he wanted to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote out, his name is John. And... They all wondered. Immediately, as soon as Zechariah wrote, his name is John, his mouth was open, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And then fear came over all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him laid up these things in their hearts, and they were saying, what kind of a child is this going to be? That's what we're going to try to answer in these two weeks. For the hand of the Lord was on him. Well, Zechariah got his speech back, and he began to prophesy. And what he prophesied, if you look down at verse 76 of this son that was just born to him, in verse 76, you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Okay, there's the background and the mission of John the Baptist. He comes into the world in a miraculous birth, just like, turns out, Jesus is born. To Elizabeth and Mary, relatives, they have similar miraculous divine intervention births. Similar, but not identical. So John is born, and we find his birth in chapter 3, um, 
Oh, no, let me just finish out here. Verse uh, 80 says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So this child is born, and he's an unusual cat. He goes out in the wilderness. He was probably grew up in his family home, and he's listening to his father's a priest, and he grew up understanding the Old Testament, and at some point, he leaves home and goes into the wilderness. And he lives in the wilderness. And while he was there, uh, Matthew 3 tells us that John wore garments of camel hair, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and honey. Who's up for that? What are you getting a picture of? You have this birth of this unusual young man who sometime after emancipation from his family goes off to live in the wilderness, maybe at age 13, 15, 18, we don't know exactly, but he lived in the wilderness. And he lived a very minimalistic life while all the world was involved in their trappings. And then he's going to exit that and come back into the city life and be the one who preaches, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. Now think about the, how isolating that would have been. A little even worse than COVID. He is alone there, but God is ministering to him, and he's probably out in the wilderness for 10, 15, maybe longer, but at about the age of 20 in chapter 3, we, we get to his arrival. So Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Luke, who is a doctor and a historian, tells us exactly the time, because Luke really wants it to be clear when John the Baptist shows up on the scene. Verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lucanus tetrarch of Abilene. Okay, that's the political scene. Tetrarchs. Caesar. Herod, all names we have heard, maybe not all of them, but many of them. And then in the religious world, verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, here it is, I underlined this, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John was in the wilderness, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts, eating honey, and the word of the Lord came to him. And somehow, all of his days in the wilderness, God was ministering to him. Remember that the prophecy was that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth? So here is this unusual man out in the wilderness, filled with the Holy Spirit, living a very austere life, very, um, you know, without any of the comforts, and God is speaking to him. And then the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness, and I think the word of the Lord for all those years was preparing him to be the one who would be the herald to Jesus, a forerunner. 
one who went before and said, you need to get ready. And the rest of this text is about that. So verse 3, then, he shows up. John the Baptist, verse 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We don't have time to develop all that was happening in the culture, but what we know is that when Jesus showed up on the scene, we may be more familiar with the way he looked at the religious system and what was his verdict about the religious system of Israel. It was corrupt. And Rome had moved in and taken over, and these tetrarchs and these governors and the emperor were constraining people and stealing their money through taxes, and the whole world was feeling this oppression that families were breaking down, the government was corrupt, taxes were high. Hmm. Into that scene, John comes with camel around his waist, and he says, it's time to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I just want to ask you, it's hard to, to put ourselves back there, but can you imagine spending 15 or more years in the wilderness alone with God and then entering into a, a culture that is just buzzing with activity, ceremony, political chaos, and stepping in, having not been a part of that forever. What kind of faith did it take for John to enter into that world and say, it's time to repent of your sins and be baptized? Did that take faith? Yeah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God was speaking to him. But it took faith for him to enter into Jordan and to begin to say that. Now, what I did in my Bible is I circled the word repentance. If you've been around church, you may know what that is, but indulge me for a minute to tell you that repentance means a change of mind and purpose and direction. And in the spiritual sense, repentance means a change from this to this. A movement from sinfulness toward holiness. From self and sin to God and His righteousness. It means a total transformation. Repent. I've been praying for you as we prepared for today that if there's anything in your life that you need to repent of, that the Holy Spirit of God would tell you because none of us know what it is, but He does and you do. And perhaps God would just lead you because repentance is always the right response before God. Correct? Like if we're moving in one direction and God reveals His Word, faith requires that we would say to Him, I believe you, and I turn the direction of my life toward you, God, and to your righteousness, and to your forgiveness, and I change the direction of my life under the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to do what you ask me to do. John came into a world that was moving in chaos all over the place and said, Hey, Israel, it is time for you to repent of your sins and to turn around. Turn toward God. This repentance message is exactly what Jesus began to preach in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 15. He's, he begins, the very first word that Mark, excuse me, records of Jesus is, 
Mark's gospel says that Jesus said the very same thing. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Peter in Acts chapter 2 said, repent and believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins. Paul summarized his life to King Agrippa, said that my whole mission was to tell people to repent and to bring forth a life that reflects that you have turned from sin to God. Repentance is the core of what it means to be converted and to know Jesus and to have your life changed. Without repentance, there's no conversion. So John the Baptist is telling them, you, you need to come and be baptized. And you know people came out of the woodwork to see him. Remember when he was born, all the neighbors were talking about him. Who is this child? And then he shows up at about the age of 30, and he, he's out there, and suddenly the whole community is going out to him, and he's baptizing in the Jordan River. And he went into all the region, verse 3, around the Jordan. Now there's an analysis in verse 3 that Luke gives us as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And this is sort of what does repentance look like? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's John. He's going to fulfill that prophecy from Isaiah. He's going to be a voice. In fact, many people came to him and said, are you the Christ? He said, no, I'm not. I'm like a voice crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall be level. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is Isaiah 40. And Luke takes that Old Testament prophecy and says that more than any time in the Old Testament, this is totally fulfilled now with John being the one who is the preacher to prepare people by illustration, taking every valley and filling it in, and every mountain and cutting it down, and every crooked way and straightening it out, and every rough place being smooth. What's the purpose? so that the way of the Lord may come to you. Now, it's a physical illustration of geography and road building, but it has a spiritual sense of the purpose of the voice crying in the wilderness is to get hearts who will say to God, I have an obstacle in my heart that's keeping me from being able to hear God. So prepare the way of the Lord. Get rid of that obstacle. What is the obstacle in your heart that keeps you from wanting to hear God's voice this morning? What, what is the, what's the hurdle that's keeping God from speaking to you? Is it your pride? Is it the neglect of God? Is it your sexuality? Is there something going on in you that you are just saying no to God, no to God, no to God? And John the Baptist is a voice crying, get ready, get ready, get ready. There it is. <laughs> get ready because the Lord is coming. 
And they needed to hear that voice. And all flesh shall see it. And so therefore, verse 7, he went to the crowds and came out, all the crowds came out to be baptized with him. Um, actually, in Matthew's account, it says the Pharisees and Sadducees also came. They're not cited here. But in the parallel passage, it says the Pharisees and Sadducees were there, which may explain why he then says, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. You, you offspring of poisonous snakes. Hmm. How to win friends and influence people. Okay, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's had the Word of God. 20 years in the wilderness, and this is what he says to the corrupt world in which he finds himself. You hypocritical snakes. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he invites them. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance has a fruit. You will know if you've repented. And don't begin to say to yourself, don't even say, John says, don't even say, I'm Abraham's offspring. I'm good. Wow. You could never say to God, I'm good because of my parents. I'm good because of my heritage. I'm good because of my race. I'm good because of my economics. Don't even begin to say to yourself, I have Abraham for my father. I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones, children of Abraham. Already the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every true, therefore, that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down. Okay, there's a warning coming. And John, suddenly full of courage, full of the Holy Spirit, is able to say, you will know if you have repented. You must turn from your way and follow God. Think about the courage that took for John the Baptist to never have been around a crowd like this and then to stand in it, stand strong and say, repent and turn back to God. It is an amazing picture of a man of courage and faith. Verse 10, what does repentance look like then? Verse 10 says, and the crowds asked him, what shall we do? Did you ever hear that before? What, what shall I do to be saved? And the crowd is asking, John, if the Messiah is coming and we need to get ready for him, what shall we do? And the next section says, whoever has two tunics is to share it with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized by him and said, teachers, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than what you are authorized to do. Don't be a cheating tax collector. Soldiers asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Be content with your wages. And suddenly, you can see that the hearts of people are suddenly being arrested, and they want to do what this prophet in camel hair is saying to them, he's never had his hair cut either, so he's like, he's a scene. And what should we do if this is true? Okay, well, one thing you can summarize by all of those responses 
If you have two tunics, share it with somebody else. If you're a tax collector, don't be a cheater. If you're a soldier, pursue justice and be merciful. Don't extort. And suddenly, if your ears hear it, you can hear that the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love God and love your neighbor. And the picture of a repentant life in these verses is, yes, Lord, I want you. How will it show up? It'll show up in all my relationships. It'll show up in the way I do my work. It'll show up in the way I pursue justice and mercy and walk humbly with God. There's a change of life that's required. It just sort of happens. It, it must change if you come to Christ and say, I believe in you and I receive you. And John's saying that that's going to happen. So this was all preparation for not him, because he's not the Christ, but the one who is coming that we'll see next week. So he calls them to that kind of life. In verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them and all saying, I'm not the Christ. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I learned something about John the Baptist here, which is a mark of godliness. And it is genuine, broken humility. I could say there's no conversion without repentance. And one of the signs of true conversion is a humility right before God that John would say, I, I am not even worthy to undo his sandals. In that day, the lowest service that could be rendered in a household would be the service of taking off your master's sandals, putting them aside, washing them. That, that was the most low act of service. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that to him. Remember, Jesus said, I, I wash your feet. And if I do this to you, so you ought to do that. I mean, John is announcing the arrival of the extraordinary, exquisite, one-of-a-kind Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he's trying to get people ready to receive him and to love him and to follow him and to turn from everything sinful and to embrace him. And he says of himself, I'm not worthy. He gives us a picture of the one who's coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John is standing up in his day to say, when this one comes, he is going to bring in a harvest. That's what the threshing floor is about. When the wheat was ready, it would be cut down, it would be brought to the threshing floor, and the fork would throw it up in the air, and it would beat it, and they'd throw it up in the air, and it would beat it, and the wind would blow the chaff away until after the threshing floor, all that was left were the, was the real grain and wheat that was there. But, but the chaff 
when the winnowing fork would throw it up in the air, the wind would blow the chaff out and it would pile up as the wind was blowing so that you'd have wheat grain here and chaff here and then they'd scoop up the chaff and they'd bring it out and they would do what you do with chaff. Burn it. But the wheat was the harvest. And John is proclaiming with courage and humility, repent, he's coming. I think about what faith it required for John the Baptist to stand in his day of pomp and circumstance and Sadducees with robes and religious ceremony that meant nothing in their hearts. They were just going through the motions, political corruption all over the place. And here's this dude saying, repent. The kingdom of God is here. He is the one who was spoken of in the Old Testament, he would go before the Lord to prepare. I think what we should do this morning is simply prepare ourselves. Prepare ourselves knowing that the Lord is calling for the exact same response. Do you need to turn from anything? What we know is that when Jesus came into the world, he came... Um, and he went to the cross to pay for every wickedness, every sin, that whoever looks to him would find forgiveness. And I want to invite you to do that as we prepare to take communion this morning, knowing that when you turn to God, he's a forgiving God. He's gracious as a Savior. But if your heart's not prepared, if if there are obstacles that you refuse to say, Lord, move this out of my life as I turn to you, whatever in my heart is an obstacle to receiving Jesus, move it out that I could say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I believe in my heart that you died for my sins, that you were buried, and that God raised you from the dead, and I want you to be my Savior. And then I invite you to prepare yourself to take communion this morning.